Shannon Kendrick Rochon. She is also a nurse practitioner. So this conversation is going to be on low dose naltrexone and autoimmunity. So Shannon is a nurse practitioner with a focused practice in an, in an integrative approach, including hormone management, weight management, and LDN associated disorders. She also has a focused interprofessional concussion care clinic and does a considerable amount of teaching with post-secondary institutions in North Ontario, Northern Ontario. Hi, Shannon. It's lovely to meet you. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. We already have that dirty S word snow where I am. So <laughs> we've already transitioned into that threshold. <laughs> oh, you're ahead of us. We had some this morning and there's, it's gone now. So fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. So you, a pleasure. you put together a really great presentation. I think this is such an excellent way to kind of end off the day um, because we've talked a lot about clinical use of LDN. We've really touched on gut health. We've talked a lot about other conditions, how we need to manage inflammation within the body. We haven't really gotten much into the autoimmunity nitty gritty. So I think your slides are going to be really, really excellent. So I'm going to really let you take it and go through your slides. I'll pop in and ask questions here and there, but I think this is going to be really useful after hearing everything. Maybe before you go through them, um, before you pull up your slides and start kind of start going through more of the therapeutics and mechanistic um, ideas behind LDN, maybe talk a little bit about your experience with it and how you use it with your practice, how long you've been working with it, um, just as a brief introduction. Yeah, so I mean, my story is not that much different from some of my other colleagues and from, from Kim that was on here previously. It's, it's certainly not what I necessarily started out with. It, so it really quite happened holistically coming into my practice through demand and through need based on what we were seeing. And a lot of what has come about in my practice with it has come from the notion of individuals will often seek out care for one item in particular, one sort of hot spot that they have. And then they get to hear me go on and on about all of the things that, that influence that and there's no magic trick to it. But LDN really supported part of that as an adjunct therapy to a lot of the patients that I was seeing, both from a gut health perspective, both from a weight loss perspective, both from a thyroid perspective, from a hormone perspective, sort of a lot of what the colleagues earlier have touched, touched on. I would say extensive use in my practice over the last four to five years um, in terms of using it actively with patients. Okay, awesome, excellent. So good, good amount of, um, for sure, good amount of clinical research. So feel free to drop any case reports, clinical pearls as you go through as well. Great, so I'm going to, it's also nice to share some slides so you don't have to just look at my mug the whole time. <laughs> Um, so, and some of this I'll, I'll go through pretty quickly and I don't not want to necessarily get too stuck on, on the science of it, but I, I like to pull things together to be succinct and, and give some also context about why the multiple applications of LDN and why we're seeing it across a, a multi variety of sort of platforms. Um, I do lots of presenting, so I'm, I'm used to putting disclosure slides in here. Essentially, this means that no one's paying me in relation to research with LDN. <laughs> um, so, and this goes back to something that everyone has touched on is, is really the root of it around inflammation and looking at acute and chronic inflammation. And, and one of the first questions that I look at when people have come to me is, 
what type of inflammation do you have? Because it makes a big difference as to where we start and what we do. And, and also educating people about the differences in the psychology behind acute and chronic inflammation, which is important as we start to get into what are our markers for improvement? What are we looking, what are we looking for? And often when people come to me and they've had this chronic inflammation, they're stuck. They're stuck in that, that point regardless. And this is not unique to any one condition. Uh, it's generally been a slow road. Often there's been acute inflammation that's taught them a pain response before getting there, which, so when you start looking at the role of inflammatory disease and chronic pain syndromes, and what the reality is, is it, it doesn't end when uh, it, an original injury has healed. And that's the part that becomes this prolonged state that patients get frustrated with because they just don't think there's an end to it. So a few of these, this is definitely not an exhaustive list by any means, uh, but looks at things like traditional autoimmune diseases that are diagnosed like rheumatoid arthritis, inflammatory bowel disease, including Crohn's and uh, ulcerative colitis, multiple sclerosis, Hashimoto's, cardiovascular disease. So we sometimes forget that cardiovascular disease is actually an inflammatory disease. We don't forget about that one. Allergies. Um, and it, it's, it's really the dysregulation of the immune system in relation to healthy tissue. And when we look at what that looks like, and this is an interesting, sorry, it's a bit blurred, but essentially this is a an extensive list of diseases that we see. And the idea of this research was to pull together how different things combine and how things a patient will present with one condition and it turns out, hey, guess what? They don't have just one. Or they'll have an inflammatory condition and guess what? That puts it at a higher risk for other inflammatory conditions. Uh, I use the example of mental health. So what's really interesting is you start to look at chronic mental health conditions and start to look at inflammatory markers and chronic and chronic mental health conditions will often have elevated uh, CRPs, which is very interesting when you start to think about the relationship to a whole lot of other things that are here. And it goes along the same vein about what several other people, I've been popping in and out <laughs> this afternoon, but what several other people have been talking about to say that really this is a complete dysregulation of that entire system that causes this. And why this is so important is it really speaks to the application of LDN, because when we look at how we treat um, traditionally autoimmune conditions, is that it tends to be a very targeted treatment. We often are trying to come up with a targeted treatment to a specific immune reaction that's disease specific. So this is, this is where the type of immunosuppression and anti-inflammatories um, have gone down, where we're really trying to target with particular, particular reactions. And like monoclonal, monoclonal antibodies, for example, has been sort of probably the hottest thing coming out of uh, uh, immune medicine these days. But it, this really goes back to even things like um, steroids. And there's a few issues with that. Either it's not targeted enough or it's so targeted that you're really not dealing with, let me go back a slide here. You're not dealing with all of these things at once, but rather you're targeting one and then you have to move on to the next one and it becomes this vicious cycle. So 
why LDN? So this is where people get to experience just how much of a geek I actually am when they start to look at slides like this. And, and my colleagues make fun of me in, in the most lovingly of ways. But we, we have to look at the multiple paths that inflammation can take. And this really speaks to why LDN can be a good adjunct therapy to so many different things. And without getting too far down the science of these things, because I have a slide that I think points this out a, a little bit easier way, but it has multiple areas essentially that it's able to target both centrally and peripherally to help with that inflammatory load. And ultimately, uh, ideally give you better control of that immune dysregulation. Does it mean that it's going to cure the disease? And people have said this before me, no, it's not. And it's important that we talk about it as an adjunct therapy. Absolutely. And I'm very clear with patients when they come to me, this is not as I, my favorite line to patients is if this was a magic cure for everything, I would be living on a hot tropical beach somewhere. <laughs> and, but it's, 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 it's really not, this is an adjunct therapy, but we hope to improve quality of life when we're able to have better regulation of these things across the board. So mechanisms. And this is the slide that I think gives you a better idea is that it isn't a single mechanism. It is multiple mechanisms that are able to help across multiple diseases. So for example, when you look at some of the blockades of that opiate R in the GI tract, that's part of the mechanism that's really thought to have the best effect with inflammatory bowel diseases. Um, when we look at the interaction of the nuclear opioid receptors, really promoting appropriate DNA synthesis and you can see that with studies that have been done about uh, healing of corneal ulcers. So, and then you have the two on top, the um, endorphin effect and the side and the, the inhibition of that pro-inflammatory cytokine. Those are probably the most generalized uh, and part of the reason that we look at why it can have applications in autoimmune medicine. So long story short of this is that the generalized effect of LDN, although it's acting on specific receptors, allows it to be an adjunct therapy in several immune conditions. So there's three factors that I would say boil down to what is the, the secret sauce, if you will, of, of LDN. And that's really the endorphin effect that you're getting. And we have applications of that within pain medicine reduction of those pro-inflammatory cytokines, which has huge impacts in, in anti-inflammatory medicine. And then we also have the promotion uh, that promotes the release of dopamine in the central nervous system. Dopamine is, is tremendously important for it. So it's our, it's our cuddle hormone for lack of a better description. It's so important for things like regulation of anxiety, overall well-being, depression, and really can help with with what that looks like, especially when you start to put that into relation of chronic pain diseases and inflammatory diseases. So side effects, which I'll touch on briefly, because I think this has been touched on quite a bit, but you have to look at, it can be toxic to liver and kidney. Tolerance, okay, you can have, you can build a tolerance to the beneficial rebound effect, which I would argue has more applications in, in pain medicine. But the one thing that I do talk about patients with is naltrexone as a medication has been long studied. There is lots of information going back to the 60s about naltrexone, not in the use of LDN, but from 
higher use in drug and alcohol addiction. Why that's important is because we've had 50 years of clinical use to have a really good idea about what side effects are going to cause harm and, and, and be absolutely worried about and when that's occurring in terms of dosing. And the good news about that is quite frankly, it is a big dose that's required to cause harm for the most part. And side effects that are experienced at lower doses for the most part can be mitigated by changing in dosing timing, so on and so forth. So it's always, it's always really important from a medical perspective to have a really good idea about and, and long studies looking at what could go wrong and have some reassurance that there isn't a lot seen at low doses. So numbers to do harm are extremely high, which that sounds counterintuitive, but it means that I'd have to treat uh, thousands of people with, with naltrexone in order to do harm to one person. And that's a really important number when you're looking at any type of treatment, especially treatment that's making its way into mainstream medicine, but is definitely considered off-label treatment as such. I want to be reassuring patients that harm is not necessarily something that we see a lot with treatment. So I wanted to talk a little bit about some common diseases that are that LDN is seen with as an adjunct therapy. I think the inflammatory bowel diseases I'll touch on specifically, this particular study that looked at refractory bowel disease is a really important study. And I talk about quality of life a lot. And this, this study looked at individuals, although it was 40 patients, which in the realm of scientific experiment is, is a low number, but this looked at individuals who really did not respond to anything else. These are people who have poor quality of life, are looking at significant surgical invention, interventions or have already had it, um, and aren't responding well to lots of the things that have already been tried. So these people were tried with five milligrams a day. I know we've talked about dose a little bit, but generally in studies, you'll see a set dose that's been, that's been tried. And they were evaluated for both clinical response and endoscopic response, meaning somebody actually went in and looked at, do they still have lesions in, in their gut or in their intestines, I should say. So 30% of patients responded to treatment with 20% showing lasting benefit and only one person discontinuing because of side effects, which that speaks quite a bit to the benefit. And 30% may seem like a low number. However, the reality is, is that this, is, this study specifically was done with a group of people that had already been through several other treatments. LDN was not the only treatment they were on. LDN was added as an adjunct and it was added as an adjunct to people who were on a variety of different treatments in terms of steroid or antibody treatment. So, um, and, and the response was not specific to the other medication they were on, which is an important point to make about the study. The, when we looked at, uh, this is a this is a much larger study that was that was done with LDN and inflammatory bowel disease, um, where m approximately half the cases actually became persistent users of LDN, and there was a significant reduction in the amount of um, intestinal corticosteroids that were used, which is important, and systemic corticosteroids. And why those are two important things is corticosteroids incredibly valuable in treating inflammatory diseases, absolutely, but they are very nonspecific. And anyone who's been on prednisone as an example, 
of a systemic corticosteroid can speak to the fact that there are significant side effects that come with that medication. It's a very required medication, but because it doesn't target the one system under attack very well, it has tremendous effect across the whole system. Um, and those side effects that are help, that are um, experienced by patients can be quite devastating and quite upsetting and result in discontinuing of medication that was actually controlling their inflammatory bowel disease. So being able to reduce the amount of medication people are on when those medications are, are not specific is incredibly valuable and important for, for patients across the board. So one of the other um, biggest uses of it is definitely in rheumatic diseases. So this is a big category that I would talk about. So this is things like rheumatoid arthritis, Strogan's disease, lupus. The, there's a big category here. Um, and this study looked at dispensing of medications that people use for pain control rather than necessarily looking at response to uh, inflammatory markers, et cetera. And by doing this, they're able to use a much larger group of people in the study. And, and really what it looked at is there was, there was a, a significant reduction in the use of their medication and their pain medication amongst, amongst users that were, were using LDN. Um, it was supportive for long-term use of LDN to look at the reduction of um, both NSAID use and primary treatment medications in rheumatic and seropositive arthritis. Multiple sclerosis, I'm not the only one to talk about this. So this study, so I'm back to my quality of life jam, I guess. And that's specifically what this study was looking at was about what type of uh, quality of life um, uh, outmarkers of multiple sclerosis uh, were showing. So these are people who had been diagnosed and were looking at, at, at uh, both health perception scores and quality of life. What's interesting is this study didn't show a significant, a statistically significant difference between quality of life, but it did reveal health perception scores that were quite different between the two. And when I talk about um, health perception scores, why that's important is because that's a, that, that, is empowering for patients to understand that it did give them some power back over how they were feeling and their control that they had over disease. So I think when we look at um, what we have to offer from a LDN perspective, it is a wide variety of uh, inflammatory conditions, pain conditions that can be that can benefit from the use of LDN. Um, and we just have to make sure that we're we're doing a good job of educating patients on that it is an adjunct therapy, but it is something that can improve quality of life, improve disease control, and, and often help with a lot of the other things we talk about being important. So I have lots of people talk about, well, I'm in pain all the time. It's hard to exercise. I'm like, okay, I hear you. I get that. Um, so if we're able to give them some better pain control, they're able to do those things that we know are supportive of that behavior and hopefully get back to sort of maximal point of recovery and what that looks like for the patient. And I'm always asking them, what does, what does well look like to you? And really what I want the patient to be able to tell me is this isn't necessarily an endless pursuit. It is what is it that you want to be able to do or that you want to be able to feel for you to feel well and how do we work on getting you there?
that's the end of the, the hardcore science, I promise. <laughs> oh, Emma, I think you're still muted. So important, great presentation. That was, I was very excited about seeing that. I, I have other questions I was gonna ask you that are similar to the other questions I've been asking some of the other talk speakers, but as you were talking, I started to think about um, maybe more of a controversial question, but I'm gonna ask it anyways, and feel free to be like, I don't wanna really talk about this, but okay. in the realm of what's going on right now with you know pandemic, where we know people with chronic inflammation escalating, dysregulating inflammatory conditions are contributing to these long lasting sequelae for a lot of people that have contracted COVID. And this is one of the big things that they're seeing now. I mean, in integrative medicine, we know there's long lasting chronic inflammation, but it seems all of a sudden people are like, oh my God, if you get a crazy virus, there's long-term things that can happen. Do you, are you seeing any, any of this? Have you seen anything in the research about LDN and COVID or anything like that? So not specifically to COVID, but there, there has been some other coronavirus application that's not so different from this. So, um, and the science behind how LDN operates would definitely, um, I don't want to be too, too, I know. Uh, <laughs> that's I don't what want to overstate my case, but it would make good sense that this could potentially have applications, especially in individuals who are experiencing a lot of that prodrome effect from, from significant COVID recovery is what I would, that's, that's about as committal as I'll get. Yeah. Okay. That's, you know, well, when I started looking at your presentation and you're looking at, you know, decreasing, you know, impacting toll like receptor, you know, re reducing it's these cytokines, you start to think, wait, if we're just throwing hydroxychloroquine and steroids, and, you know, obviously we're talking about long lasting versus acute, but I think these are really interesting conversations for us to have, to be understanding the effect of chronic long-term inflammation on the body and modulating it in safe ways. Yeah. And I think you brought up a good point. There's a big difference between just giving something that's going to knock down the immune system, which was the traditional approach to, and to autoimmune medicine. It was, well, we just need to kill off your whole immune system <laughs> so that you aren't hurting yourself anymore. Logic would have it that was good, but it doesn't take long for you to realize, well, that's why in individuals who are on those medications for long periods of time actually have much higher rates of cancer. Um, as, as just a sole example is that unfortunately, yeah, we've, we've gotten rid of the disease pathology, but we've also down really regulated the items that your immune system is supposed to do for you and are helpful. Of um, and, and we do see dysregulation of that with COVID in particular, where you get an overwhelming inflammatory response and that creates problems. It creates part of the problem of, of why people, some individuals get really, really sick. Um, but it also creates a big, big, uh, sort of postrome of, of recovery from that. I will throw in my pitch for vitamin D it's been well talked about, but there's also some studies coming out with vitamin D. So there's a very high rate of vitamin D deficiency 
in those admitted to hospital for COVID. Now I will say it was a Canadian study where we're pretty much all deficient in vitamin D for the most part, but um, yeah, I, I do think there could be some applications. We'll, we'll, I'm hoping we don't necessarily just have to wait for a significant group of people to be suffering before we look at what that looks like, but we'll, we'll see. Hey, that's where maybe my disclosures can come from. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> and um so yeah no you brought up I love that slide with the you know the complexity of how intertwined all the other conditions are and I think it was interesting because it was a little blurry but I could see depression in the gut ones they're connected to every other condition like it's all over the place that one you saw the green everywhere so it's it's not a coincidence that we're talking about all these other conditions in the realm of of, of talking about low-dose naltrexone. So that being said, where does it fit into your practice? Like, is this something when someone's coming in, are you starting off? I mean, obviously it's dependent on the condition, the person, that sort of thing, but is it typically something that you start with LDN, they use it, and while they're getting results from that, you're working on other stuff, or what is it? How, how do you bring it into your practice? Yeah, so that's, that's a challenging question because it's both. So I have patients coming from that are referred to me by some wonderful naturopathic colleagues that have had a whole bunch of, of pre-work done, I'll say, <laughs> sort of got, have the bricks and mortars put together and are, are really just looking for the addition of the adjunct. Um, and then I also have patients coming to me that are, are coming to me directly and really have not had a lot of that done. And, and there are some, as I call, bricks and mortar pieces to LDN therapy. So some, some basics, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example as, um, so it just flat out if somebody's coming to me and it appears that they have Crohn's disease and they are on nothing to control that disease and they are having uh, a flare of that. Well, LDN is not where you start with that. This is, this is, we need to do some treatment first before you can go down the LDN route. Um, other individuals have come to me with a uh, thyroid is great, like Hashimoto's I would say, or, or graves any any thyroid related is a good they'll come to me with controlled or uncontrolled levels um and we look at starting ldn to try and give right off the hop to try and give some better control and then we tinker with anti-inflammatory um regimes with them along with their certainly their their medications so it depends i i do say that ldn is generally not my first place that I start. It's not, hasn't shown good efficacy as a sole treatment. Um, but I also recognize that in some cases you have to develop some quality of life or hope to give them some quality of life back to get them to do some of the things that are hard. Um, so behavior change is hard. And I agree, you got to pick your heart these days. <laughs> and I say that to patients all the time. Um, and but the other thing that we've learned in human factors is you, you also want to make it easy for people to do the right thing. <laughs> and if they're in pain all the time, it's really hard to do the right thing. And I think that's where often I will get people started with LDN with the hope that we can give them some relief to then activate all the other pockets. Being very clear to them, this is not a one-shot deal, but hopefully we can, we can get you moving in the right direction. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I mean, I think it's excellent that you're open to, to using this therapeutic because it is, you know, such a, there, there really isn't anything else that kind of bridges that gap right now. There's, you know, you have to jump from 
just supportive bricks and mortar, like you said, and calming down the immune system naturally using diet, which are, you know, these are things like you said, are, can be quite challenging for someone who's, who's really suffering. And then the, the other option is, you know, biologics or steroids. So it feels like really there's, you know, no in between. And that's where I think it's so essential that we have these discussions and open up the dialogue and talk so that, you know, naltrexone for some people sounds really scary. Like, oh my God, it, it's scary. It's hits opioids. Like, I don't want to touch it. So the more we have these conversations, the more I think patients are going to benefit and patients are going to be talking to their practitioners. Hey, can we try this out? Is this something that's maybe on the table before I get to those, you know, maybe it's a right before they try something else. And I'll say that I, I'm usually not the first stop for patients and I recognize that. So often when patients come to me, they have, they have been through a gamut of things often, and it's about managing well, what has worked. And maybe this, maybe unfortunately we've gone into sort of the one trick pony conversation, meaning you try one thing, it doesn't work. So you stop it. And then you try something else. And I'm, I'm pretty clear to say to people, that's probably not going to solve this. It's probably going to be a variety of things that you need to embrace all of them to get good control. Mm -hmm. uh, but then also being reassuring to people and giving them a little bit of hope. As I say, the, the hope is often the, the, the it factor about, about many things. We know that placebo effect and not that I'm saying what's happening with LDN is placebo because I don't think that, but placebo effect is a thing. <laughs> and right. It, it is a thing because people want hope. They want hope that something is going to work. So often part of what I get to do is give them a little bit of hope that we can find something to move that step a little bit, because when they've got to me often, they don't have any left. <laughs> they've sort of been down all those rabbit holes and they got nothing left. They're like, nothing has worked. Nothing is going to work. I just need to try this before I like phone it in and forget to try. <laughs> oh, for sure. And I mean, I, I think it's really interesting that you brought up the placebo effect because, you know, it's funny that we label it the placebo effect, but in turn, I'm like, that's your endogenous dopamine and your endogenous like opioid cannabinoid system activating itself, which is kind of cool because it's similar to what LDN is doing regardless is upregulating those natural endorphins. So I think that's really cool that we're kind of tapping into that a little bit using something low dose and pulsatile and safe. So really cool. Last thing I want to ask you just out of my own curiosity, uh, that one slide that you had said um, it can increase dopamine. Now, are you, do you see this or is there literature on this used in Parkinson's? Yeah. Yeah. So there's not a lot of great literature in Parkinson's, I will tell you. Um, but it is a hypothesis that I, I have around what that looks like. I see where I practically see that more beneficial is in that overlap of, uh, mental health conditions that, that go hand in hand with chronic pain and chronic inflammatory conditions, okay. um, more practically, it would make sense that, that it would potentially aid with that dopamine, with that dopamine loss that we see, um, the question would remain, would it be powerful enough to, to help? My hypothesis would be yes, because realistically it's not a, it's not a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's not a Parkinson's isn't a complete shut off. <laughs> it's really about, so by making it more available, you would, I mean, that's what essentially the medications for Parkinson's do now. 
<laughs> yes, for sure. Well, this was such a great discussion. Thank you so much for taking your time this afternoon to chat with me and put together that presentation. A perfect way to end off this event. It was a really nice wrap up for people to visually see what's happening. So there is literature behind this magic thing we're talking about all afternoon. So I really appreciate that. For people that are asking, this event has been recorded. So we are going to be giving people access to the recording um, after it's done. So you're going to get an email if you registered with information about that. So thank you so much, Shannon. Uh, have a lovely evening, everyone. And we'll hopefully be, uh, if you have any other questions, you know, just email us and we'll get back to you. Bye-bye everyone. Have a great evening.